Mike one, Mike one, isn't this a lot of fun? Two, 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 two. Did you, America? Welcome to another edition of Did You America? He's Jeremy, I'm Ian Camfield. This is season two, episode... Uh, either four or 800 or somewhere in between. Jeremy and I have been way too busy to keep count of the episodes this week because we have uh, become tech geniuses. I mean, we, we, we felt like you were on your way to being a tech genius when you managed to get all of your contacts from one cell phone to another a few weeks ago. But our endeavors in the world of tech are just, I mean, on Steve Jobs proportions at the moment. Welcome to the team, my brother. Tech no- bros in the building. Not, not. Not only did Jeremy manage to get internet installed at his house this week after previously believing that it could only happen if he got a work permit, an actual workman who dig up streets and, you know, the kind of workmen that build buildings right. <laughs> would show up. Like to it's put, the 90s. To put internet in. Well, we are now firmly out of the 90s and at least into the early 2000s. We because, made it. Because not only did you this week manage to get internet at your house without needing a work permit to dig up the street, earlier on today, because we record this podcast uh, from my kitchen table, I managed to buzz Jeremy into my apartment building using my phone without needing to go from the fifth floor where I live down to the first floor to let him in, which is what I've been doing for the past, what, four months? Explosion sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) They don't call us the tech bros for nothing. I'm not talking about the tech bros down in Lubbock. There is no Raider rash on this podcast. Um, I I, I was at the front office of my apartment building this week because I had another issue that I needed them to sort out, and they did. It's a very good apartment building to live in. And um, I've been meaning to bring this issue up with them, but I, I, I knew it was going to be embarrassing. So I wanted to wait until I had another reason to be in the front office, um, asking them to fix something that was, you know, genuinely something that I hadn't broken. And, and then after being overly nice about the fact that they're just so great maintenance and they, I love living in the apartment building and aren't you such an amazing staff? I said, by the way, I've got this other issue. Um, I said, I think this is a me thing. But I said, um, you know, if people come to the main front door of the building, you're meant to be able to buzz them in uh, using your phone. And the woman's looking at me going, yeah. I said, I can't do it. (laughs) And she went, oh. So she she looks me up in the system. She says, yeah, you're definitely uh, in the system to be online to, to, to do this. And I said, well, yeah, I mean... People have been buzzing people into their apartment complexes since at least the 90s. <laughs> right. And um, anyway, to cut a long story short, after doing some investigation, um, it turned out I was using the wrong app. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't quite catch the update, did you? Well, I mean, in my defense, when they send out emails to everyone who lives in my apartment complex... Quite often the emails from the front office go to my spam because they've got so many recipients on them. So 
it is entirely possible that at some point in 2020, they sent an email out saying we're going to a new app and you need to download this and then you'll be able to buzz people in through the front door. And apparently I didn't get that that uh, that email. But certainly um, when I showed the lady at the front office the app I was using to attempting to, to in order to attempt to let visitors in, she said... Um, well, we haven't used that app since I've worked here, and that's been <laughs> that's been at least six months. Oh, great! <laughs> so you've you've been a bit behind. So the good news is, you know, me coming up to your apartment is no longer a five to ten minute ordeal. The best news is you never have to see an elevator dog again. Well, that is also very true. And uh, I mean, you should have seen the look that Jeremy and uh, I gave one another when he got to my front door without me needing to go downstairs to the main door to let him in. You would have thought that we just signed a million dollar deal with Spotify for this podcast. We were so happy. I immediately gave us a new nickname. We're officially the Techtronics. Get your booty on the flow tonight. We definitely need to start releasing music to TikTok as uh, the Tektronics. Not only that, New York producer, you're fired. We don't need you anymore. We're no, tech geniuses. Don't say that because because he'll listen to this. Also, I'm about to do a lot about Texas reopening, which he's going to absolutely hate. He might decide once I've done the next segment on Texas, you know, being a typical New York liberal, he might decide that he wants nothing to do with this podcast ever again. Oh. So certainly don't, don't set him up to be like, oh yeah, 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 we don't need you because trust me, we do. Remember when he had COVID and I was fearful that if he died of covid this podcast was over because none of us neither of us would have any idea how to actually load this podcast to any of the streaming platforms he may be our producer but i'm pretty sure he's never listened to a single episode um yeah well i don't know he i mean befriend you by it, now he's uh, he probably doesn't listen but i think he's aware enough of my thoughts and feelings on things put it this way he did see on social media when i tweeted out that i got uh, quoted in the new york times and they kindly posted a link to this podcast and his only comment on that was did the new york times actually listen to what you think about stuff have they listened to the podcast okay so he knows what's going on i'm here. gonna do the joke again i'm just gonna keep doing this joke and if you're listening new york times you're gonna love my tribute to rush limbaugh in part two um all right let's do this we won't spend too much time on this but because we are uh, partly texas centric as we do live in the great state of texas um we're recording this on uh uh friday morning what is it march the 4th now the i think 5th. march the 5th you today. almost had it um well i told you i can't keep up with the date i've been too busy getting the right app on my cell phone to let you <laughs> in from the front door we're way beyond that um so from next wednesday texas is going to be a hundred percent open and the governor has said that there is no longer going to be a mask mandate and several other states of america and high portions of the media went oh my god i can't believe they're doing this Texas, what are you thinking? Yeah, get uh, this the rest of the country. Coronavirus don't exist here no more. That's not what he was saying. Oh. First of all... That's not what it means? No. What oh. it does mean, and this is not this is something that I don't think has been that widely reported because it's just been met with just outrage and disdain. Um, Governor Abbott did have specific um, targets that Texas needed to meet in terms of uh, a certain number of elderly people having had the vaccine and then said once that amount of elderly people had got the vaccine, he'd look at moving things on in terms of the restrictions. So there is that metric um, that he's met. Certain people would have you believe that as we are just two weeks out of snowmageddon, and for a week, Texas had at best rolling power outages. And at worst, several people had no power or water for several days. 
this might be a political move whereby the governor went, temperatures have hit 70 plus degrees, no more snow. Okay, we've moved on from snowmageddon and people are going, uh, no, we haven't because I haven't forgotten about the fact that I had no uh, water or power for a week. So he went, okay, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. <laughs> We're going to open fully. You know that bar that you love, which now has power and running water? You can go there and you don't have to wear a mask. Move along, everybody. This is the new news. <laughs> I will say this, you know, uh, for going to bars and restaurants, it was a little annoying because they'd say they'd have dumb rules like if you have a glass in your hand, you don't have to wear a mask. So like at that point, we might as well just get rid of the mask. But I, I understand that a lot of people are seeing this as politically charged. I can't say I disagree with them. You know, it just seems with with Governor Abbott. He makes these bipartisan moves a lot that people really enjoy, you know, like the, you know, when he raised the age to get cigarettes or when he, you know, did the liquor to go laws and stuff like that, you know, something everyone can get behind. That's, you know, in my opinion, what keeps him mm. as the Texas governor. But this one just, it, it didn't seem like it was made for the economy. It didn't seem like it was made based in science, it seemed like it was made as a political move 100%. Well, I, I disagree with that. I think 50-50 uh, on this. I think the mask bit is a political move because that's playing to a certain base. Right. I think the being able to reopen to 100%, I think that is uh, an economy thing. And also, for people that live in different parts of the world, um, you have to understand that from my experience, uh, Texas now going to 100% capacity isn't going to make that much difference because we've been close to it and so open in terms of you have been able to go to bars and restaurants and stuff like that with restrictions on capacity, but the restrictions aren't so much that you would notice. So for example, if you've been going to your favorite bar or your favorite restaurant for the last couple of months, right, they've had to operate with restrictions on capacity. If you go back to that same place from next Wednesday when there's no more restrictions, you will barely notice any difference, I bet. Right. I, you know, my thing is, the truth is, is, I don't know what side of this argument to be on. People want all the answers to the coronavirus, and they forget this thing has only been around for a little over a year at this mm, point. Mm. There's no way the scientists have all the answers. So when you see Florida's been open this whole time, but California hasn't, and they have essentially the same numbers, what's the correct thing to do? We don't have the answer to that. We don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. So I get it. There are positives. There are negatives. It's just, it would have been real easy to reopen and say like, eh, let's still wear masks though. You know, he, he put that on everyone else. You make the decision. We know how to be smart, but we've proven as a people that we're just going to do what makes us comfortable, not the correct thing. Well, that's another thing where I think you won't notice any difference because all of the places that I like to go that I follow on social media, all I've seen since this announcement is them saying we respect the governor's decision, but our staff will wear masks and we're still going to ask our patrons to, to, to wear right. masks. So I think... Um, you can argue that he's giving people the, here comes the F word, freedom um, <laughs> to choose whether or not they wear masks. And, and, and you are giving that power to the individual businesses. And as far as I can see, you know, certainly from the places that I go hang out, most of those places are going to still require you to wear a mask, which I think is, is, is probably a good idea. Although, I mean, I, th I was thinking about the last time I, you know, I was in a restaurant in, in, in Texas. And again, this is not a recent thing. This has been the case now for several months. If you go somewhere to, to eat and drink, 
you have to this is what you do you get you walk you park your car right you're in the open air so well this is what i do so i'm not gonna say everyone does this but this is my experience you park your car i'm in the open air so i don't have a mask on until i walk from the parking lot to the front door of the restaurant right at which point i put a mask on to walk into the restaurant then i get to a table and as soon as they bring me water i take the mask off and i sit there with the mask off dining with whoever i'm dining with uh, drinking my drink and eating my food. If I need to use the bathroom during that meal, I put the mask on to walk to the bathroom, use the bathroom, come back, take the mask off. And that's been how it is in Texas for months and months and months now. And while I think it's probably still a good idea that they kind of keep it the same, you could argue, how much effect is that mask having when you're taking it, or right. leaving it off for most of the time? Because I don't know how much more protection I'm providing by just putting it on literally to walk from the front door of the restaurant to the booth where I'm seated and putting it back on again when I'm walking to and from the bathroom. No, you're absolutely right. That's such a good point. Like, I think mo most people absolutely have that exact same experience. And I think most people also understand that it's probably not having the benefits that everyone thinks it mm. should be having. But that's that's also going to my point with it's not a perfect system and we don't have all the answers. But what what we have been told by a majority of scientists is that people should wear it. Now, if everyone doesn't wear it, it doesn't work. So if everyone's not wearing it, should we make, should we try to pretend like we're forcing people to wear it when we're really not? Mm, mm, yeah. I mean, there was, uh, my buddy Stephen visited, uh, this is quite a while ago now, early days of the pandemic. But again, things were open in Texas. Right. And, uh, he lives in West Hollywood. He's a, excruciatingly liberal um just like the rest of the residents in rest of west hollywood actually maybe well no that probably is true um i uh so he came to the we, we met up at this place that i like to hang out in uh, in dfw and we had our masks on and again i did in the diner what i just described to you he was sitting in the diner eating pancakes or whatever, and literally he would remove his mask for mouthfuls. So we, <laughs> we were sitting in a booth and he had the mask on. He would like scoop up some pancake, put it in his mouth, put the mask back on, chew it remove the mask and I went are you d and, and, and I said okay and, and he's like oh you've become so fucking Texan blah 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 and he, <laughs> he, he's a Brit by the way and I went you've become so fucking West Hollywood anyway what a vacation uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's probably very telling that he didn't stay with me he stayed with other friends right. he's like I'm dipping into this redneck Texans world <laughs> for two hours and I'm only going to take my mask off from, from mouthfuls of pancake the rest of the time I'm not hanging around this covid ridden area and i'm certainly not going to hang out for all of his oan views <laughs> right you were just an observation for him he wants to see how the other half went. right yeah it was it was like a case study that he was going to take back to west yeah. hollywood and go okay we should absolutely make everything make sure everything stays closed and everyone keeps their masks on because i've seen how the other half live and it's crazy <laughs> although i will i will say this hi Stephen. by the way if you're listening this What's is up, the, this is the same person who uh, then about a month later, I think we mentioned this on the on the podcast previously, um, decided that he would um, he'd go to Vegas. And uh, this oh, is yeah. the, right. And this is this is the person who who, who went to Vegas and talk about having a, an obscene amount of luck. Ended up hooking up with someone really really hot, winning a load of money in the casinos. And this was when Vegas was 
just about operating at the height of the pandemic. He goes back to Los Angeles. Super hot person ends up getting COVID. Stephen somehow, despite having sex with this person on multiple occasions, did not get COVID and won a load of money. And then when I said to him, well, okay, that's a ton of ton of good Vegas luck, then told me that he was going to go back and try his luck again there in about a month's time. At which point, I'm about to say something slightly controversial, brace yourself. I went, you fucking Nancy Pelosi in the salon, you fucking, you, you sat in front of me in the diner in Texas, putting your mask on between mouthfuls of pancake, and yet... You'll go to Vegas twice at the height of the pandemic and try your luck there, and that's all fine. Absolutely. I was like, this is like Nancy keeping everything closed and then going to get her hair done. So now, every time we have, and can you imagine what our text messages are like? Every time we have like a political debate on the text <laughs> and I'm calling him out for being a hypocrite, my reply, I'll just, say, I'll just send back a reply going, Nancy Salon. You need to just start sending him photos, like Photoshop your face on the guy who has his legs up on her desk. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this though out of you know full disclosure and being honest with our audience the truth is is I actually feel like I I've had a very similar experience with Steven not that I hook up with hot girls that never happens but in the sense that you know I like to think that I have somewhat liberal views I wouldn't call myself a far left lib by any means but you know I would like to lean on the side of caution with all this in the coronavirus. And, you know, I wanted masks, I wanted shutdowns, and I wanted stimulus and all this. But the truth is, is I didn't exactly have the most COVID safe last 11 months. Mm. We've discussed on this podcast before, there's been multiple times that I went out to bars, that I went out in public. I did things that in other places in the country, they probably would have frowned upon. So it's, again, it just goes back to, it's not a perfect system. Everyone wants it. It's either this way or it's that way. And mm. that's not the case. Well, th- th- that's an overall thing with where politics is. This or that. Right. The prism of two ideas. Right. There's no kind of third idea or an in-between. Or, How dare or, you or, have a different or, idea? Or whatever. Though. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, this is why this podcast is good, because you could say that you and I sometimes have different ideas on for things. For sure. I will say this, though. If uh, if I am calling my buddy Stephen a hypocrite for his uh, mask between mouthfuls, but then a month later going and hooking up in Vegas and gambling and all that kind of stuff during the height of COVID, your irresponsible COVID behavior was so much more Texan. He went to <laughs> Vegas and hooked up with someone hot and won a load of money. Your irresponsible behavior was you went midget wrestling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you had a way more Texan take on uh, you know well luckily that was actually on the list of reasons to get a vaccine so i was approved it was great right there under pregnancy and being fat was going to midget wrestling events <laughs> now let's talk about that then so you you've had the vaccine yeah i actually you know not to be vaccine shamed by some out there but i got my first shot this week and did you tell them that you went midget wrestling and that is that genuinely they uh, said that sir come right on in. You up the list. Right. there was a there were like 95 year old friends grandmas with walkers <laughs> and they've been waiting in the line for hours trying to get in and they were like no 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 no! the midget wrestling guy get him through that's way more way more important yeah you know there was a long line but all of a sudden there was a shady guy outside who says like hey you can cut if you let me stick you with this needle so i went to him and boom i'm vaccinated <laughs> immediately left went straight to the strip club strip club like the buttholes of seven strippers no diseases for life that's how it works right 
Straight for the buttholes, not even the pussy. Yeah, no, I, they, he was like, Where, which arm do you want? I go, put it in my butt. <laughs> but no, I got the real vaccine. I got the Pfizer. I was a little disappointed, you know. The Moderna seems like the high class one. Aren't they all real vaccines? I don't know, as long as they didn't get stuck with that Johnson & Johnson. Ain't no one want that trash. <laughs> right. So have you, uh, you know, have you been out to lick some bus stops just to test it? Like what? Uh... Well, I think licking stripper butt is pretty much the same thing as licking a public bus stop, you know? Do you have um, any uh, after effects? One of my buddies was texting me saying that he'd had the vaccine and... Um, was a little disappointed that a week later he hadn't felt any after effects. And so again, this is everyone's kind of paranoia about this. He goes, I'm concerned it hasn't worked because he hasn't felt any after effects. For sure. Like I haven't grown horns yet, but I definitely feel Bill Gates tracking me. Like that's going down. No, I didn't have any. I had a little bit of a sore arm for like two days. I didn't, uh, you know, they say with the Pfizer one, sometimes the second shot, you have more of a reaction to it. But now I had a little bit of a sore arm for a few days. They actually tell you after you get the shot, like walk around for a little bit. So, you know, make sure you don't have a reaction. Apparently they didn't mean walk around. They meant like go sit in this designated area inside CVS. They took one look at you and thought this guy won't do any walking. If we tell well, this guy to take exercise afterwards, it's a waste of time. Just send him home. Well, they, I think they looked at me like he needs some exercise. Walk around a bit. So I walk around and then like I kind of walked up to the lady. That you're like I should I should I should go on like a mile walk because I might get a fuzzy head after the vaccine. They go like no, you're just fucking fat. Yeah. Well, that's essentially what happened. Because I walked up to the lady. She's like, oh, have you had your shot? Yeah. I was like, yeah. She's like, well, where have you been? I was like, I don't know, walking around. And she looked at me shocked. And she was like, oh, no, honey, that's not okay. Like, what what would have happened if you passed out and we didn't know? Can I also say this? And uh, again, we're going to move on to some other stuff in a second because uh, I don't want this to be, all to be about politics. But around the uh, the same time, the, uh, the Governor Abbott announced that uh, Texas was uh, open for business and masks off. Um Biden called us all Neanderthals. Oh. Neanderthals uh, is the new deplorables, yeah, I, I guess. Say, now, which one's worse? Well, I don't. I think I, I, I've always kind of liked the word Neanderthal. Like I've thrown that out as a description of various people during uh, during my life, and I think I prefer Neanderthal to deplorable just as a word. Look at my hair, beard, and body combo right now. I'm sorry, I am a Neanderthal. Hmm. Yeah, I'm you, not offended. No, you are a little Neanderthal man. I'm disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so I discovered a couple of things that I like about Biden as a result of this particular oh. episode. Obviously, I completely disagree with him branding Texas Neanderthals because we want to get uh, open for business because, you know, as Jeremy, the liberal in the room, pointed yeah, out, come on. California, completely closed and massive COVID rates. Texas, very open and massive COVID rates. Who wins in the long term? Um, <laughs> But I think, uh, you know, if uh, if if they're going to carry on just throwing out these, uh, you know, these terms for uh, everyone who's not on their side, just as a word, I prefer Neanderthals to deplorables. But here's the thing that I've discovered I really like about Biden that came out during this. And I think uh, I, I, I saw this on a news network that were pitching this as this was a negative thing about Biden, but I took it as a positive. The man goes to bed at 7 p.m. I'm so down with that. What? Yeah, listen, when I quit drinking and decided that the only exciting thing I was putting in my body now was just black coffee, I, I decided, like, there's no reason, and there's no, and I would stay up later if I was going to gigs and stuff like that, but since COVID, there's obviously been no gigs, right? I've become the, like, the go-to-bed early person and get up early, because the earlier I get up, the more black coffee I can have, right? 
So why are you looking at me like I'm speaking I'm, a foreign language? No, I'm wondering if it's too late to change my vote. 7 p.m.? <laughs> I need a president up at least until 9.30. Well, I used to... Um, I've got a buddy who's a, a, a personal trainer at a gym, and you know he's always into the whole uh, the, the three things for fitness: a diet, exercise, and sleep, right? And when I when I used to work out with him, I was still drinking and you know having somewhat of a more fun lifestyle. And I could never understand he didn't drink or anything. I could never understand that his uh, calls for celebration was he used to call it going to bed in the nines. It was like he had a victory at the end of the day if he was in bed sometime in the nine o'clock hour, which was something I didn't understand until I quit drinking and just wanted loads of black coffee. Because my thing with coffee is I drink it black from when I wake up. But I stop it at four o'clock in the afternoon because otherwise I'll just be. You'll be up all I'll, night. I'll be up, coffee. Right, I'll be up all night. So therefore, the earlier I get up, the more coffee I can have. Coffee's like the strongest, most exciting thing that I imbibe <laughs> these days. So I, I became like Mister. I'm in bed in the nines person, and I totally buy into that. It's like a vi- start the day with ambition, end end it with ambition that it should be ending around the nine o'clock hour. And then when I read this, like. Biden's going to bed at uh, going to bed at seven. As long as he's up by five, because he's about a hundred, right? He might need a ten that's hours sleep. That's I don't... way too much sleep. Is it? Yeah, ten hours. I I'm I I always was of the opinion that like for me, eight hours I can get by on. Nine hours is probably my optimum, and ten hours. Oh my god, that's, that's such a privilege. That's like for teenagers. Adults need six to seven hours, and they're fine. Really? Yeah. When you're growing is when you need like a full nine hours sleep. Otherwise, you're just wasting the day. Wait. I sleep from like 12 to 5 a.m. every day. Maybe, you know, once or twice a week I crash and have to have like a six-hour nap during the week. Right. Other than that, nah. I I don't do the diet and exercise part. That might be my issue. There was a um, there was a study that I read ages ago about um, significant people, and they were either uh, big political leaders or um, famous sports people. And it was about how much sleep they got because the idea was like your, your amount of sleep that you need determines how successful you were. And generally, the politicians t- t- seem to get less sleep because like, they, they, it was everyone from Trump to Obama, Mrs. Thatcher. Right. But then they had uh, sports people like Tom Brady. And what I remember was the politicians were getting between four and seven hours sleep a night. Brady was getting 10 but that probably is because he's in his 40s and doing an obscene amount of exercise every day. So he needs that amount of time to recover. I don't know right. that going out for a half mile jog, jog around the block in Deep Ellum warrants my 10 hours sleep a night that I'm craving. But right, like 16 hours straight of Fox News doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> you need nine hours of sleep. I can't believe that I went, I thought I'm going to plan today's podcast and I thought Jeremy's not going to like my super pro Texas get 100% reopen uh, viewpoint. So I'm going to throw in a I found a thing I like about Biden fact that he goes to bed at seven o'clock and you are just rubbishing that yeah I'm taking it down I I want a different president MAGA (laughs) you know what we should do let's storm the capitol (laughs) Uh, a bit more Texas stuff just before we're done are you excited about Elon Musk he wants to build a new Texas city you know my opinion on Elon Musk the guy is the world's most likely super villain. So no, I'm not too thrilled about this. Is it, is it going to be, uh, so I, where do I, so I, I don't know exactly where he wants to have it in Texas, but obviously there's a lot of empty space in Texas because yeah, it's, because sure. it's absolutely huge, but it's because he's um, chosen Texas as to be the base for his uh, uh, space force project. Yeah. Right. So 
Because the Space Force experiments are happening here in the great state of Texas, he's decided that, I guess because there's um, space on the ground here, um, he wants to build his own city in Texas and he's going to call it Starbase. I'm wondering, to go along with your idea that, uh, you know, he could be um, a supervillain, would it just be a city that's inside a hollow vo- hollow volcano, like James Bond <laughs> right, style, yeah, that exactly. kind of thing? You're, there's going to be like a massive dome around it. Everyone's going to have flamethrowers and Teslas, which doesn't sound like a bad idea. I'm telling you, it's horrible. Yeah, well, it's also in, in line with this... Um, a space hotel is meant to be open by 2027. There's a lot of space news this week. 2027 is not that far away if you consider that apparently by that year. By my math, that's 26 years away. We can not only be going Wait, to... you think 2027 is 26 years away? What year do you think it is? No, hang on, I'm getting that that's, wrong. That's six years away, bud. It is not 2001. Sorry, I thought we were in 2001 for a second. Yeah, no. Because I've only just got the ability to buzz people into my apartment. (laughs) You were thinking, like, this is the closest we've ever been to 2001, a space odyssey, so you just assumed. That's what it was. That's what it was. Right, yeah, see, thank you for uh, ironing out my own mind. Yeah, I figured it out. Sorry, I just dropped out for a second and forgot we were doing a podcast. You would think I was the high one. (laughs) Yes, that's correct. So 2027 is the year by which... Uh, according to uh, the New York Post, we are going to be able to not only go into space, but go stay for a vacation in a space hotel, which, as you said, is very, very much like um, the 2001 Space Odyssey, the right. Stanley Kubrick film, right? I'm, I'm calling a little bit of BS on this. Like, you know, you're more of the generation where, like, all this futuristic stuff that they promised us was supposed to, like, have happened by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, we've long passed the Back to the Future 2 date. Nothing of the Jetsons is in real life. We like, did get... Did we not get self-tying shoes, though, from Back to the Future? We got that, but I want flying cars. I want robot butlers. I want space hotels. Well, we it's do... It's not going to happen. We've got those... I feel like robot butlers were... No, robot Roombas? butlers... Yeah, we've got Roombas. Vacuums that, aren't butlers. Well, but no, but it's a step in the right direction. Did you ever see the Disney movie Smart House? No. Oh, God. This movie, the house does everything. It cooks, it cleans. Sure, at the end, it kind of dystopian style takeover. But like, by now we would have had that figured out. That's the technology I want. I, um, look, here's my thing on the the whole space fascination. And I I always argue with people over this because I've got a lot of friends that are kind of geeky and, and, and into space and such like. The exploration side of it is very exciting. I don't mind watching it on my TV from my apartment in Deep Ellum, but the people that have this craving to go to space and see what it's like, the people that would want to spend, I think it's $5 million to go stay at this uh, space hotel in 2027, which did you know is only six years away, Jeremy? (laughs) Or 26, whatever. (laughs) Um, I don't get, like, I can barely be bothered to pack for a weekend away somewhere. <laughs> right, like if, if, right. if, if, if we're recording this on Friday afternoon, if later today I was going to drive to Austin and stay there for the weekend with friends, 
Right now, my mind would not be on this podcast. I would just be thinking, oh, God, I've got to pack two days worth of clothes because I'm going to Austin for the weekend. So the idea of, of, of pre- everything that you would need to do to prepare for a vacation in space is too much effort. No, like everyone already complains about traveling here on Earth. What do you think is going to happen when they're going to space? You think that's going to somehow be easier? Also, all these people are the ones who, you know, growing up in America, were terrible at U.S. history. Because if you look at the first 150 years of America, it wasn't exactly pretty. That's what you're getting in space. Yeah. I have no interest in going to space. We talked about this, I think, either on Monday or last week on the podcast. I do not like airplanes. You think I'm getting in a spaceship? Fuck no. Mm, Yeah. People die in spaceships way more often than airplanes. Well... You're basing that on sci-fi movies, though, aren't you? And, like, that one explosion that happened back in the day where people died. Well, one, one blew up in Texas this week, right? Wasn't Elon, Ma- Elon Musk was trying out... That, That's, that, like, that, the third time! That is, that is a bit worrying. Like, I get that he's experimenting, and so, you know, there were no casualties. But when you're telling me we can apparently get to a space hotel in 2026 but yet this very week the latest launch just exploded when it was i mean it was about as high off the ground as one of those helium balloons people have for their birthday right all the the headlines were like oh it had a successful landing and then it exploded (laughs) right that's what happened that's not a successful landing it exploded (laughs) yeah exactly i think my um i don't know how much you're into the uh the Arctic Monkeys, but their most recent album was kind of a, it was like a lounge album, musically speaking, but it Ooh, was, it like was yeah, it was basically a con, they were kind of at the point where they went like, we got enough money now, we'll just do whatever we want, we don't need to pander, to, yeah. yeah, so they made a lounge album, musically speaking, that was, it was pretty much a concept album about a hotel in space, because the actual album title was, um, let me get this right, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, right? At any point do they sing living it up in the hotel space no so it's not a remake of the hotel california no 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 it's not okay, a, re- a completely different hotel. well yeah 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 because this one is in space oh. i mean essentially they probably got stoned one night watched that space oddity movie by stanley kubrick and went hey we could do a whole album based on this <laughs> but the funny thing is is that that album came out like i don't know like two three years ago and, it, and and now you know it seems like they've had cosmic powers because that concept album it basically depicts what this space hotel that apparently is going to be opened by uh, 2027 is going to be. And my point is, I quite now that album lounge. What like they did? They, they used to get a bit of radio play. They didn't get any radio play from that album because it was just you know such a lounge thing. Right. Um. But it was a fantastic album just to like lay by the pool to. If it was like eight, and it's, it's perfect timing for sunbathing because it's only about 40 minutes. So if it's like 80, 90 degrees outside, you can lay out for the duration with your with your lotion on to the duration of that Arctic Monkeys album. You don't get burned. It's perfect. There were some videos depicting a hotel in space. What I'm telling you is, is that's as close as I want to get to it. I'd rather watch Alex Turner in a fictional hotel in space for a video for his lounge album with the Arctic Monkeys than, um, well, basically, than after actually fucking pack to go there and do all the preparations. So essentially what you're saying is that album actually should have been about the beach because that experience would have been a lot worse in space. I can assure you of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think... Um, 
I and this is sort of like my mantra for life. I don't want more choice. I just want nicer things, right? <laughs> yeah, so right. So I don't. The, the just idea, give me things. Right. I don't want to have to pick things. Yeah, or have to make the effort to get up into space. Right. I mean, I know the 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 boffins and the geeks. They're the ones that are making the real effort. But I still feel like for me to physically get there, it'd be a lot more effort. So again, I don't want more choice. I just want nicer things. Well, luckily now that we're tech geniuses we can work on teleportation yeah maybe or just give me a more comfortable sun lounger to lay out on while i'm visualizing the tranquility hotel base and casino while listening to the arctic monkeys album right i'm in because that journey is just from going from the fifth floor to the first floor of my apartment complex to go lounge <laughs> by the pool right i don't want to go up in space all right we'll be back with uh, a song of the week update and uh, some other stuff to discuss in um part two including uh, the BBC's fake Cory Booker, which is one of my favorite stories of the week. And uh, I wasn't going to do this because I feel like we've covered them so much recently, but it's, it's really heating up now. So we should probably touch on the latest developments with the British royal family, because I've kept on telling you on this podcast that they are just a, they're a farce. They're, they're just a crazy dysfunctional family and with the latest developments i think it's it's becoming more like a season of the tv show dallas which makes it even more ridiculous (laughs) so we'll get into that in part two of did you america stand by all right let's do part two of did you america i am ian canfield he's jeremy quick song of the week update uh to vote for any of these songs you can go to the website didyouamerica.com slash song or there is a poll on my twitter and i am at ian canfield on twitter um, I have chosen Black Lungs by Architects uh, over in the UK, uh, Shitsville to me. Um, they've just had a number one album. So uh, congratulations, Architects. They're a good um, British metal band who I have been a fan of for quite some time. I think this is their first number one album in the, in the UK. Anyway, one of the songs uh, from the album that came out a week ago is uh, my choice for Song of the Week, and it is called Black Lungs. So Black Lungs by Architects, my choice. Well, if you hate England and you love Texas like us, then pick mine over <laughs> Canfield. I did DFW locals Leon Bridges and Keith Young. They they did a song, uh, Like a Ship. Very good. And a New York producer going for Virtual Reality by Ren for Schultz. All right. So New York producer, Virtual Reality by Ren for Schultz. Jeremy has Like a Ship by Leon Bridges and Kite Young. And I'm going for Black Lungs by Architects. Uh, you can vote on the poll on my Twitter where I'm at Ian Canfield or go Go to the website to vote, didyouamerica.com slash song. Uh, also, if you're on the website, you can send us a message there. If you want to uh, talk to us, type us a message. You can actually be on the show if you leave us a voice message. Um, and you can uh, listen to old episodes and get one of our lovely Did You America t-shirts. Didyouamerica.com, the place to go to for all of that. Now, sometimes I think to myself, oh, I used to have a career where I uh, was on the actual radio and I was in a high-tech studio working with other people in a a radio environment where there will be multiple radio stations and it was a very professional setup. And um, now I've been reduced, no offense, Jeremy, to uh, doing a podcast from my kitchen table. Yeah, but you got me now. Yep. That's a plus. Yep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then I read a story like this about so-called professional broadcasters. Some people would have you believe a broadcasting company that is the envy of the rest of the world. That's a term that I hear uh, apportioned to the BBC on many occasions. 
And this week, the BBC managed to do an interview with a fake Cory Booker. <laughs> Did the person know that they were being fake Cory Booker? Or was he like, why do they keep calling me Cory Booker? No, I think somehow uh, this person um, managed to uh, get in touch with the BBC, or I guess it works the other way around, the BBC get in touch with him um, because they were wanting Cory Booker to discuss something on their new service. And again... Americans, Americans who claim, oh my God, I'm so glad that we've got BBC World News on our cable because all of our news sucks and the only thing you can trust is the BBC. This trusted envy of the rest of the world news source conducted an entire interview with Cory Booker, who was not Cory Booker. See, I think Americans are just confused when they see BBC. They don't understand it's a news source. They think it's a porn category. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love BBC. Have I been misunderstanding all of the plaudits for the BBC? I I think it's Americans who, who genuinely believe that the British Broadcasting Corporation is the only trusted news source, but actually... I've just been reading uh, reviews from Pornhub about BBC videos. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with what BBC means in the porn world, you can Google that, preferably when no one else is looking, because otherwise you might be embarrassed. Don't do it at work. Yeah, yeah, definitely don't do it at work. Uh, Although you'll probably see some very impressive things. (laughs) I mean, there'll be things on there that'll make you go, wow. That is huge. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I don't get about the, 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 the BBC with this screw up though because I've done this might uh, you might find this hard to believe but based on what I say about them but I've done various bits and pieces um, for the BBC in the past and they are the most overstaffed overfinanced media operation you can imagine and I, and I think this is something that a lot of people in America still don't appreciate about the BBC because it's so archaic it, it sounds ridiculous to say it in 2021. But the BBC is funded by a thing called the license fee in the UK. And this isn't a subscription service that you can opt in or out of. It's not like choosing to pay for Netflix or HBO. If you have a house in the UK, whether you own it or you rent it, every household, so every apartment, every house, whatever it is, every household legally has to pay this thing called the BBC license fee, which normally increases each year. And last time I checked, it was something like £165. So you imagine every house, every household in the UK has to pay 160 something pounds annually to the BBC. That is a ridiculous amount of money that the BBC then gets to make their programmes and then they can't even make sure that they're getting the real Cory Booker on board. That's, I mean, that's absurd. I'm going I'm to give you a little bit of U.S. history right here. Clearly, the British tax way too much because that's essentially what created America. <laughs> well, we, we, don't, we have plenty of taxes here, don't get me wrong, but you guys tax for everything. Well, again, people that love the BBC, and these are always the really left-wing people, really dispute when I and people like me call it a tax. They'll be like, no, 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 no. Everyone should pay. It's not a tax. I'm like, of course, it's a fucking tax. You don't have, a, you don't have the option to pay for it. That's and the definition of a tax. And again, you can say you keep the BBC because it provides different programming that you may not get in the commercial 
commercial sector. I'm fine with that. I've never seen it said abolish the BBC, but there is a campaign that I've always been fully behind, which is abolish the license fee. If people want what the BBC offers, let them pay for it because we've got so much proof in the media world specifically now that if you offer something enough people want, you can have a very, very profitable um, a subscription service, Netflix, Hulu, uh, Showtime, HBO, the list is endless, right? Is it at least like HBO where because you're paying every once in a while you get to see a titty? <laughs> <laughs> like, are there titties on the BBC? I need to know this. <laughs> um... <laughs> I like that the most Americans I know that are really into the BBC just go like, oh my God, BBC World, it's my savior. I just can't bear the CNN Fox News divide. And you're going, hmm, 168 pounds a year for some extra tits, I could be in. I got rid of Cinemax the moment they got rid of their softcore porn. So I, I need a replacement. I don't know that the that uh, that uh, boobs are the uh, unique selling point of the BBC. They do go they when they when they they'll run promos on their channels back in Shitsville, um, because obviously they don't have any advertisements because everything's funded by that ridiculous license fee. Right. But a, a, a very every so often you could watch BBC One TV. And they'll run a promo basically congratulating themselves on how great they are. And they'll show a montage of all of these so-called great things that they've done. And then at the end of the promo, they'll go, and this is only possible because of the unique way in which the BBC is funded. Now, we could do a we could do an alternate version of the promo to say how great the BBC is, which is a few pairs of tits, the fake Cory Booker, <laughs> something else they screwed up. You know, there was one time when they invested several millions of pounds. It was something like 10 million in a new digital platform. They were basically going to rethink how they did all of their digital output and they they built all these new premises for it and they basically had uh, people that were just researching it and developing it for several years and then they just suddenly scrapped it. And there was another there was a, there was there was another great you thing said, screw this. There was there was another great thing that they did one year where um they they were getting a lot of um criticism for being too London centric, right? Because in the UK people couldn't cope with the idea that London is the capital and all of the politicians, you know, the the key ones are in London, so therefore it made sense to have a lot of the BBC in London, even though it is based regionally. So to compete with being too London-centric, as their critics claimed, they spent millions and millions and millions building uh, a new uh, building in Manchester, which is like five hours outside of London, right? right? And one of the big things that they were going to put in Manchester was their sports hub. Now, the BBC do loads of sports coverage, right? right? And this development took years to build. It cost millions and millions of pounds. And the big thing was a portion of news and all of BBC Sport was going to come from Manchester, right? The year that it opened that they moved all of BBC Sport in Manchester was 2012, the year the Olympics happened in London. <laughs> That's that British efficiency for so you. So there you go. This is our new <laughs> promo for the BBC. You've got uh, some extra boobies. Yeah. We moved all of sport to Manchester, five hours north of London, and st opened that new building the same year the Olympics happened in London, and we booked a fake Cory Booker. And this is all possible because of the unique way in which the BBC is funded. See, you, <laughs> you, you cretins pay £168 per household every year so we can produce this shit. What is that in dollars? Oh, it's $200. Oh, about, that's BS. It's about $200. 
was. And this is the other thing, by the way. So this is my personal experience with the BBC. I'm probably not going to get any more experiences with them if anyone right. from the BBC <laughs> hears this. But I, I don't get how they could have screwed up the Cory Booker because as a result of having the, the license fee funding them, they've got so much money. And I swear, if you go to uh, get to sort of the inner sanctum of the BBC to see how a typical radio show or TV show works at the BBC, they will have 10 people doing one job that in the commercial sector wouldn't even exist, right? And I um, I got on their books as kind of like a rock expert. So for a, for a quite a long time, um, I would be called, if a rock star died, I was like the BBC's person to call to do an obituary thing for them. Right? <laughs> oh, I don't know anything about this guy. Just call Camfield. Literally, that was it. But and again, I get that that's a good system that the BBC have got. So they've got I, I, some somewhere there is an A to Z um, of, of people to call when certain news events happen. So let's say, for example, because uh, I, I, I definitely did it for this, when Malcolm Young from ACDC passed away, right. they needed someone to talk about Malcolm Young. So in the BBC's A to Z, they go to D for dead rock star, and <laughs> right next to dead rock star is my phone number, yeah. right? So they phoned me, and, you know, and, and, and I, you know, you know that period of time in, like, 2016 where loads of rock stars died, starting with David Bowie? Right. I, was, I was constantly being called by the BBC to Big year for you. Yeah, it was a big year for me and the Beeb um, <laughs> to do these um, to do these obituaries, and because they're so overstaffed. Even for something like a Malcolm Young obituary, and yeah, okay, the guitarist from ACDC dying is very sad for ACDC fans, and it's a good thing the BBC did an obituary, but it's not the most serious, biggest news story of the day, right? But because generally they've got so many members of staff, someone would call you, and for what would be a five-minute segment on air, you had to do a pre-interview before the actual interview, right? So for my obituary for Malcolm Young, a producer would call me and it would be like we would practice doing the obituary and he or she would, t I could hear them on a keyboard, would take notes on everything that I was saying so that an hour later, when I was on air doing the actual obituary, the person who's the host of the new show would have not only me on saying what I just said previously an hour ago to, to the producer, but she'd also have notes on everything that I was about to say during the uh, during the obituary because those notes have been taken an hour before these are just like the ridiculous levels that the BBC have got because they've got so many so many staff and that you know so many people doing jobs that don't really need to exist so you've got all of that going on for me doing a, an obit to, to Malcolm Young and yeah there's probably about 10 members of staff on this big national BBC news show and not one of those fuckers could make sure they actually got the real Cory Booker on I feel like we we shouldn't even be discussing the fake Cory Booker. What we should be discussing is the fact that the next time a celebrity dies, we're 100% putting me on the BBC as you and, <laughs> and pranking the BBC. I mean, how do we not do that? We clearly know that they're not going to figure it out. I'll just put on a fake mustache even though you don't have a mustache and they'll throw them off. I think that we should... Um we should, well, I'm sure they do everything on Zoom now, so you should absolutely be in vision, I, even <laughs> to give them even right. more clues that it's absolutely not me and see how long you can get away with it. I feel like them making these type of mistakes is nothing new, though. Like, I know you weren't a fan of the Borat movie, but 
Sasha Baron Cohen literally made a career, and he started that career by pranking the BBC. You know, those first years of the Ollie G show, a lot of uh, people from that circle, I'm sure, is what inspired him that he could get away with just pretending to be someone else. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I get that. And, and he has spent a lot of time planning that, and he's a great actor to be able to achieve that. But just some random person who manages to get on a national big BBC news show claiming that they're Cory Booker, and the interview would have been through probably 10 more stages than what I just described for me to do my Malcolm Young obituary, and yet it still gets on air, and it still gets reported, and no one from that massively overstaffed, overfunded by the license fee BBC organisation even realised until friends of Cory Booker back here in the States heard it probably on BBC World News, the thing so many Americans trump it as being great, and went, actually were messaging Cory Booker going, did you do a BBC interview? Because there's someone on there saying that they're you, and it really doesn't sound like you. They said, did you do a BBC interview, or is this you in the BBC video? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. And uh, I haven't I haven't finished bashing the UK in the, today's podcast, because we do have to do an update on the Royals. Uh, but before we do that, um, Jeremy, tell me about golf being the, uh, the sport with the angriest fans. That is oh. some research discovered this week, and um, I, it seems like such a relaxed sedate sport to play well i w- see that's a weird statistic i wouldn't call them the angriest fans in golf i would call them the drunkest fans that's usually what you get you get a lot of alcohol and like an occasional screaming of a baba buoy before they shoot but, but that's about it but aren't aren't football fans all tanked up on bud light in the stands when you know pre-coronavirus yeah but there's significantly more i think it's because like you hear the audience more in golf that people think that they're angry but no i would i would absolutely say that football causes the most anger i can tell you this from firsthand experience now i'm not a very aggressive guy if you saw me you would be like this guy has never been in and or won a fight in his life might have just smoked a joint probably never been in a fight exactly. that would that would be what my deduction about you but every single cowboys game i have ever been to has ended in a fight really yes essentially there was one time i was leaving a game it was against the Eagles, one of our biggest rivals. The Cowboys lost in the last second. I was walking out of the stadium, and I, I out of anger, grabbed a trash can, just chucked it across you know my body, and it happened to hit an Eagles fan. Oh, so he came at me. Was and, he know, was he was he eating horse shit at the time? <laughs> he might as well have been. He you know started getting in my face, and I'll admit I was a little bit the drunker aggressor on this one, so I went after him. Luckily, cops broke it up and arrested him because he was the Eagles fan and I was the Cowboys fan. <laughs> in Texas. Yes, of course. <laughs> so I definitely understand um, anger coming out of me due to sports. Mm. Was it, um, we've uh, we've discussed the fact that there are a lot of uh, angry uh, basketball fans in the States because they keep on losing the coverage on their uh, their, their cable providers. Right, right. Are they about to become angrier than, than golf fans just because they're angry that they went back to like channel 15 that they used to get the basketball right. on and suddenly it's not there well basketball is actually where i learned how to be angry at sports so growing up my dad he uh with a bunch of other friends they split a pack of season tickets so we'd get like eight games a year something like that he split between me and my brother and my dad was always the loudest guy in the stadium and me as a little kid i was forever embarrassed by this he would yell at the refs he would yell at the other team he would yell at the other coach sometimes he would yell at the Mavs 
there were multiple times where this was early in Mark Cuban's ownership before mm. he had become like a mega superstar with fame. And he would literally reply to Mavs fans' emails. My dad sent him several emails just complaining about what happened with the refs on that game. <laughs> and every time Mark Cuban would reply, be like, I fucking know these refs are the worst. <laughs> so I was always really, really embarrassed by this. And, you know, a few years ago, my father passed away and the first Mavs game I went to without him, I don't know what happened. Something clicked in me. And all of a sudden, I was the loudest person in the stadium. I don't know why, but somehow once he was no longer there to yell, I felt I had to be that your dad, guy. Your dad was looking down going, good on you, right. son. <laughs> Doing just as I taught you. So you headbutt that drunk guy behind you. It's worth it. One other takeaway from this that, that I had, because it was, you know, the, the, the article was the fact that uh, golf fans are the angriest it just got me thinking about golf and this is a point that i've i've, I've gone back to regarding uh, golf and definitely more specifically darts and i'm not the biggest sports fan so I, I don't like to cast aspersions but it's just a feeling that i have that i throw out there every so often and that is if it is a sport that you can play to a high level while being incredibly unfit does it deserve to be considered sport? Right, yeah. Golf and darts definitely come to mind. Yeah, that and bowling. You know, like any sport where you can eat nachos and drink beer while you're playing might sh probably shouldn't be considered a sport. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how much, you know, he makes up his handicap and how good at golf he actually is. But President Trump, for example, plays golf a lot. Not very fit, right? As example, and you know, I know darts is more of a British thing, but I remember. But my granddad, when I was a little kid growing up, used to um, w watch a lot of darts on the TV. That was a big thing on the BBC because of the unique way the BBC is funded. They could stick a camera in a pub and make a TV show out of people playing darts, right? And my takeaway from watching that was always that um, it was a sport that they played with darts in one hand, and they would alternate having a pint of beer or a cigarette in the other, right? You could. <laughs> Maybe the occasional chicken wing. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could simultaneously play darts, apparently a sport to a high level, while having a uh, a cigarette or a pint of bitter in the hand that you weren't f throwing the darts with. Now, in defense of very out-of-shape golfers, while no, it does not... Uh, you don't need to be in great physical conditioning to be the best golfer... Mm. It is probably the most difficult sport to get good at. Right. I think that's where the anger actually comes from because, you know, I've been to golf tournaments. Again, I just get drunk. I have a good time. I've played golf, and every time a club gets broken, <laughs> it's a guarantee that at one point you're going to take a bad shot that you thought was going to be the perfect shot because it came after three very good shots, and it's just going to go wide left into the woods, and you're going to break your drive. Right. I guess the, the, the thing is with golf, because it's all about the swing, so it's about, you know... It's about how you proportion the flab on your stomach. Like in that swing, it's about how you move your body. I guess like you're gonna be, you're gonna move the start, start the higher part of your body first, and then the flab has to follow through, and then you make contact with the ball, and then you hit it up onto the green. So what you're telling me is there's a great deal of like 
uh, upper body to flabby stomach coordination <laughs> with the swing on the golf club. So although, yes, you could be physically unfit by a doctor's standard, there's still a degree of athleticism involved in golf. Is that right? It? As yeah. long as you attribute the stomach with the swing, you're good to go. It's all about gravity. Because I've done this on the radio before and I always upset gamers when I start disputing whether or not playing video games should be considered an Olympic sport. Because again, something that is sporting that you're doing um, without any kind of uh, requirement for, for a high level of athleticism. And, and the defense from gamers is always that there is an immense um, uh, mental uh, capacity required to play video games to a, high, to a high level. So, and if you think about, I get, if you're playing uh, soccer or football, uh, baseball, whatever it is, there's a lot to be said for the strategic um, application uh, as well as the, the physical side of it. So gamers always argue with me, well, no, okay, there's not the physical side of it, but the, the strategic mind right. games involved with gaming. Well, you can say the same thing with like chess. You know, like some people might consider chess a sport. Me, I consider it a game. Right. You know, a lot, oh, I consider playing video games a game. Some people might compare it in terms of saying it is a sport to something like NASCAR or mm. race driving where maybe you're not doing the most physical, but you get behind the wheel of a car going 200 miles per hour, I guarantee you're going to break a sweat. Yeah, but the, I mostly, like, the, most of the NASCAR drivers are pretty fit, right? They're, fit, they're physically eh, yes in shape. No. Yeah. Yes, but every once in a while you get a Tony Stewart who has some flab to him. I would say that I've seen, not that I've seen a lot of chess players, but I, I, on the whole, from my limited experience, I've seen way more fat golfers and darts players than I have chess players. Right, no, for sure. Chess, they special they specialize in the very thin arms that's kind of their thing you know like when nerds have like like the overly thin arms you know like that dude's great at chess 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 players are the only ones who've got a valid excuse to skip leg day right, right. <laughs> they just want to make sure that their arms aren't flabby i, I think most chess players just don't have legs anymore <laughs> They're just like an upper body in glasses with a list. Yeah, they're like, oh no, my legs don't work. It took me so long to get to Rook to Queen's Pawn 4. Is that a move? I just pulled that out of my it ass. Sounds right to it me. It took me so long to get to Rook to Queen's Pawn 4. I forgot to. I forgot how to walk. I've lost the use of my legs. Call me crazy. I'm more of a checkers guy. All right, before we're done uh, today, a uh, quick update on the royal family situation. And I was not going to do this because I, I feel like we've uh, we've covered them so much, but they're, they're uh, so front and center of American news this week because it's this weekend that um, uh, Meghan Markle is doing her uh, big interview with uh, Oprah. And I think uh, Prince Harry, to sort of promote that, appeared with James Corden on his Late Show right. a few days ago. Yeah. Um, and so this is being pitched as... You know, you keep on reading a lot of negative publicity about Harry and Meghan somewhat leaving the royal family, saying they wanted to escape uh, the attention of media, but then you could argue moving to Los Angeles and craving the attention of media. And, uh, you know, this is sort of them going, we've stayed silent, but we will be silent no longer. <laughs> we are going on Oprah and we are putting our side of the story forward. That's one thing. That was not the bit that got me interested. The bit that got me interested was it then became a race between this weekend's Oprah show with Meghan and Harry and the British royals who are now rushing to do their own TV interview and huh. get press releases out. Basically, they want to put their side of the story forward before Harry and Meghan put, uh, uh, put their side of the story forward. So it becomes a complete tit for tat 
tabloid, he said, she said frenzy. And again, I, I, I kind of don't come down on any side of this because I think everything to do with the British royal family is crazy. But I took a step back at the now the two warring factions who now apparently can't get on the TV fast enough. And I thought... Does anyone remember the old TV show Dallas with the warring families? Because the British royal family has just become a season of Dallas. I think that the royal family, look, I don't know what's going on here. And like you said, like they're just trying to get their side of the story out. I think the queen needs to take a lesson from American media. You know, right now there's another big documentary exposing going on right now and you don't hear Woody Allen saying anything <laughs> yeah there there is that there is that I um there, there there's a, a big split opinion over in Shitsville about whether Megan is being treated fairly or not and, and I can see that I mean a lot of people I mean I, I I I think that to some extent she is the Yoko Ono of the royal family because she, <laughs> right. she's waded in there and she's taken the prince and sh and she's causing all of these divisions. Um, some people would be appalled at the fact that I would say that, and but they I and this is where I side with the people that are kind of on the Meghan side. They say, well, she gets all this bad publicity, but yet. No one's really done anything about Prince Andrew. He gets uh, <laughs> right. he gets sidelined with Jeffrey Epstein. Does a terrible interview about the fact that he used to sweat, but he doesn't anymore, and he couldn't have done all of these things that he was alleged to have done because he was in a pizza restaurant in West London on that on, on, on that particular evening, <laughs> right, right. right? And and that's that gets a bit of publicity, but yet they seem to have been enthusiastic, the press included, to sort of brush that under the carpet. But Meghan has carried on being public enemy number one. My thing with Meghan is it seems like a lot of her and Harry's attacks that we've heard so far has been not, you know, yes, against the royal family, but really against the tabloids in England. Mm. And you would think that Meghan wouldn't have a big, you know, issue with that, granted that, like, she was an American actress who no one cared about and never got any attention. And when you become an American actress, you only do it because you want that tabloid attention. Maybe she's just trying to ride on those Britney coattails, you know, like, oh, I had it bad, too. Megan, you never shaved your head. <laughs> Shave your head. Give us something real. Then we'll defend you in 10 years with a documentary. Well, you do bring up a valid point in that uh, she was an actress that not many people had heard of until she got a prince, right? right? And so, th th see, this is the theory of the people that are the hardcore British royalists uh, that, that say that she is the, the Yoko owner of the royal family because... She, you know, Americans that like the royal family, they always go, oh, you know, but we only have Disney and you've got the royal, the real thing. And so right. you can argue that Meghan's gone over there. She's got the prince. She's brought the prince back to America. They've claimed that they don't want the publicity, but then they can't wait to get on the TV and talk about, right. you know, what's going on. And I do think there might be a play here whereby... To go along with my idea that this is like a season of the TV show Dallas, but the royal family version, you could get a whole season out of this in The Crown where Meghan plays herself. I mean, it could be her biggest... <laughs> That's what she's it, going for. It could, be, it, could, it could be her biggest acting role so far. And then, you know, the people that go like, oh my God, this is outrageous. She, she you know, th this is how they treated Princess Diana and she ended up dead and you shouldn't be supporting how the, the press are all, lay, uh, are all laying into Meghan. The, the thing that I would say to back up Meghan is... If that is your idea, that you're going to be, you know, playing yourself on, on, on a season of The Crown, I'm kind of of the opinion that, well, sort of good for you, because what that suggests to me is you figured out that there was this family 
that are for some reason really revered and they are some of the biggest fuck-ups on the planet. Like, they are one of the worst dysfunctional families that you could possibly ever imagine. And so you got in there, you fell in love with one of the princes and went, actually, I can get you away from all of this craziness. Let's just go to Hollywood, start a podcast and some TV shows <laughs> right. and be Hollywood stars and, 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 it, and it's a lot better. Can you really blame her for doing that? Because I feel like, you know, although, yeah, she could be Yoko-ing the royal family, she's also shining a very valid light on what a bunch of fucking fuck-ups that royal family is. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for exposing fuck-ups, but, I mean, look, I'm not tapped into the British tabloids, but were they really that in the two years that she rose to fame because of her relationship with harry were they really that bad to her the only thing really i ever heard from her is she had a crazy dad that didn't approve of the wedding well then now this is where i mean it really becomes like a a season from dallas because she's about to do this big interview with oprah apparently exposing how badly the royal family treated her and then suddenly these people who work for the royal family are saying that she was a bully when she had royal family staff when she was living with Harry in the UK. So that's what I mean when it becomes like a he said, she said thing. Yeah. Like, I've never seen the royal family reduced to this level of tabloid where someone has kind of exited the family and is going to do a big thing on Oprah and then the royal family go, oh, hang on a minute, we've got bullying claims. Get this on the front page of the papers. I may only be defending the royal family because I don't want to get diana with you and Meghan, but <laughs> I, I just feel she came in and immediately tried to ruffle feathers. And this is an establishment that doesn't like having their feathers ruffled for the last a thousand years. There, there, there definitely is an aspect of that. And, and I think, you know, back in the day, I was kind of too young to keep up with what was going on. But if you read about it retrospectively, in her own way, 80s and 90s, um, Princess Diana um, also ruffled their feathers. And look what happened to her. Yeah, look what's going to happen to you soon if you keep bringing this up. <laughs> Do you think it's uh You better stay away from all the tunnels in DFW. They got people everywhere. <laughs> this is a total total like total conspiracy theory. Um because obviously we have the internet now and social media, so it's a lot easier to keep people front and center and keep stories out there. Do you think it's only the, the internet and social media that's saving Megan right now? Like is the Queen going, oh my god. No, back in 1997, before Instagram and Twitter, it was so much easier to deal with problem princesses. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know now I mean? everyone's just going to immediately assume it was her. Instead, she's spending her days listening to Did You America plotting against you. Sup, Lizzie? <laughs> I don't know. As I said, I there are a lot of uh, a lot of people arguing over the royal family here, and I kind of like to. Normally, I come. I'm quite opinionated. I, I don't come down on any side with the royals because I think it, it, it's all ridiculous. But I will conclude it by saying this: if any good is coming out of this, I think it is that it is shedding light, real light on what a dysfunctional load of screw-ups the royal family is. Because if we go back a couple of generations, when I was a little kid in the 80s, I remember my nan having a royal, royal family tea set in her flat in London, right? And this was not unusual for a, a woman of that age. If you were, she would have been, I don't know, but in her, about 60, right, in the 80s. Right. This, she was not unusual for a woman of 60-something uh, in the 1980s in that her, her prized possession in her flat, she had a Charles and Diana 
tea set. And oh, when God. I say tea set, I mean uh, cups and saucers, right. um, plates, cutlery. And it was all, all of the, the plates and the cups and saucers had pictures of Charles and Diana's <laughs> wedding on them, right? And not Little only- did she know that China would not last very long. This is the thing. She loved it so much that she would never use it. Of course not. It was on display in her kitchen like it was a piece of art. And I would go into the kitchen as like, I don't know, a five-year-old and be like, nanny, nanny, what's that? And she'd go, that's my Charles and Diana wedding day tea set. It was just one of the best days. She'd talk about it as if it was her fucking wedding day, right? And and then, and then I, and she, and I, and I'd say things like, oh, so, We'll have a cup of tea in that. No, tea, tea must never be poured <laughs> using those cups and saucers. They must, she used to treat it like Nigel Tufton in Spinal Tap treats his guitar. You know, when he's got this guitar with the sustain and right. he tells you that it's the guitar's got the best sustain, but it can never be played because the sustain is so great. That is how my nan treated her Charles and Diana wedding day cutlery set, right? Instead, she would just give you like a red solo cup and be like, here, drink out of this. If, if the UK had red solo cups, that would literally be how she would have poured my <laughs> cup of tea as as her grandson so when they you know broke up got divorced whatever did you like find her in the backyard one day just like smashing plates and crying <laughs> like screaming to the heavens why i i i don't think she ever accepted that 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 actually happened i think in her mind <laughs> it was all a conspiracy yeah, they're still together <laughs> <laughs> and and uh you know my nan my nan and granddad have of 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 long since passed on, and I remember, um, you know, my dad because they were his uh, parents had to deal after they passed away, you know, with what you do with the stuff right. in the flat and everything. And um, we, you know, we took a few little trinkets of stuff that reminded us of Nan and Granddad and stuff like that. And um, I remember uh, I, I went to the flat, you know, just to get some things that were kind of special to me. And um, I said to my dad. What happened to the uh, Charles and Diana wedding day tea set? And he went, oh, I threw that out the first thing I did when I got up here. No one wants to take that, right? <laughs> There's no value whatsoever. <laughs> but my point, my point being is that my nan was not weird in the 1980s for being a woman in her 60s who was, who was that obsessed with the royal family. Um, there were probably many, many people who had that same tea set. It was probably a big seller. So if anything good is coming from this, it's that a few generations later, we're actually seeing the reality of how screwed up the royal family are, and we don't have to deal with people who, mostly, who hold them with that level of regard. And again, this is one thing where I feel like, because most people in the UK are over the royal family, Americans still love them way more generally than the UK does. And this is one example where America doesn't know better than the UK. And you know I don't have many of those. And I'll say this to you again, America. If your answer to why do you love the British royals is because it's like Disney and America doesn't have anything like that, stick with Disney. (laughs) I'll say we have Disney. The princesses and the princes in Disney will not let you down. No prince from any of the Frozen movies was ever on the Lolita Express going to Pedophile Island. Just bear that in mind. I just think, you know, we shouldn't put all the blame on this current version of the royal family. Like, we gotta go way back. Like, that motherfucker King Charles, or King Arthur, he definitely didn't take that sword out of the rock. Lying bitch. All right. Oh, we covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, we went hard. Yeah. Hi, Megan, if you're listening. What's up? Uh, (laughs) Did we, America? 
We definitely didn't Canada. <laughs> Digiamerica.com if you want to write in. Uh, we're done. We'll be back next week.